0: We may now turn to the Word of God and turn to the passage that we read from Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 4. And we shall read from verse 16, the last verse of Hebrews, chapter 4. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. In time of need. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Earlier today we were speaking of the gospel of the kingdom and at the very heart of that gospel is the throne of grace, of which we read here. We cannot expect to have a kingdom without a king or a kingdom without a throne. And the gospel is the gospel of grace. Paul stressed that and he emphasized it. By grace are ye saved. By grace alone are ye saved. And it is important then that we connect the gospel of grace with the gospel of the kingdom because they cannot be separated now here's the apostle writing to the Hebrews and he is of course throughout this epistle applying spiritual logic in many respects the apostle Paul can be called the apostle of logic he is so logical in his arguments, proving his doctrine before he applies it. If you go through the epistle to the Hebrews alone, you'll find how many times over and over he repeats the word therefore, and he repeats the word wherefore. I think you'll find 27 times in this epistle He uses these expressions with others, of course, in addition, but he is using spiritual logic to prove to these Hebrews their privileges that they ought to enjoy, how much they had in Christ Jesus, how much they had in the promises of the gospel. And here he is Encouraging them to come boldly to the throne of grace. And he tells them why they are to come. That they might obtain mercy. And that they might find grace to help in time of need. But you'll notice that word, let us therefore. There's good reason, let us Therefore, you see down through this chapter on its own, it begins, verse 1, Let us, therefore, fear. We have good reason to fear. Uh, verse 6, Seeing, therefore, it remaineth that some must enter in. Verse 9, There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. And if you follow him through, you'll see that he says this because he has just previously proven the point. He has produced the evidence to confirm what he's saying. Verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into uh, rest and so on. And now he says, let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Uh, he is encouraging those to whom he writes to come to God's throne. Now, if we go back in the Old Testament to the prophecy of Isaiah, we have the prophet Isaiah telling us of his experience in the year that King Uzziah died. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the Lord enthroned, he heard the angels speaking with reverence of the holiness of God. And the vision that he had of God's glory and God's throne and the majesty of the Lord himself, as we find in John's Gospel, is a reference to the Son of God, to God the Saviour. He said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And why is he speaking this way? For mine eyes have seen the Lord. Mine eyes have seen the Lord. Now no more did Isaiah see the Lord's A glory in all its fullness any more than Moses did. But he saw sufficient of it that it made him quake. And he said, woe is me. I am undone. Why is he feeling this way? Why is he feeling uh, what it means they're undone is he's as it were falling apart. It's as though he feels he cannot stay, he cannot remain in the presence of God. The majesty of God is so overwhelming that he feels he can't survive it. Now here, we have the apostle speaking very differently. He's not inviting men to come so that they might tremble, so that they might feel they are being undone, that they might think of themselves in the way that Isaiah did. No, he says, let us therefore come boldly, come with confidence, not come with trembling, but come with assurance, come with confidence to the throne of grace. (coughs) Now he's not speaking of a different throne. He's speaking of the same throne that Isaiah spoke about. But he says it is a welcoming throne. It is an accessible throne. It is the throne of grace. And that's what we want to dwell upon for a little this evening as enabled. This throne of grace when we talk about praying we talk about coming to the throne of grace well do we really consider where we are if we have come to the throne of grace what kind of an impression does it make upon us how do we feel when we've come to this throne, can we imagine for a moment it is possible to come to it and feel no different? To come to this throne and leaves no impression upon us, doesn't affect our thinking, doesn't affect our manners, doesn't affect our spirit in any way. Surely, surely, this please must be An awesome place, the throne of grace. And therefore, we shall, first of all, consider the place itself, the throne of grace. What are we talking about? Secondly, the persons that are to come to it. The place is the throne, and it's the throne of grace. Who are to come to it? Let us, therefore. And it's as though the apostle says we might feel afraid to come. We might feel terrified at the idea of coming. But let us, therefore, there's good reason to come. There's good reason to approach this throne and to come. And so we may consider who are to come. (coughs) Then, Thirdly, the persuasion to come to it. Verse 15 is connected with verse 16. We have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin Let us therefore. We come to this throne... Because of a person. We are persuaded to come because of the person who occupies the throne. And then, fourthly and lastly, the purpose in coming that we might obtain. We might obtain We go, we come to this throne of grace and the experience is an enriching experience. We don't, as it were, leave it as we came. We obtain something. We come into possession of something that we previously didn't have. We obtain, this is what the apostle writes, that we might obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. First of all then, this please, to which the apostle uh, invites uh, those to whom he writes to come, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. This is a real throne it is a unique throne. There is no throne like it. There is no throne that can compare with it. If you go back with me to the second book of Chronicles, we have at the time of Solomon a description of the most unique throne that existed at that time. When the Queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon and question him, and test his wisdom. Uh, we're told in verse 17 of all the things that she saw and the things of his kingdom that are described to us, we have a description of his throne. And this is how it is described, Second Chronicles 9, verse 17. Moreover, the king made a great throne. That's the first thing about it. It is a great throne. It's no ordinary throne. It is superior. It is a great throne of ivory. You imagine the expenditure that goes into the production of this throne. And overlaid it with pure gold. The materials are the most expensive. It is a great throne and it comes into existence at great cost. Verse 18 There were six steps to the throne with a footstool of gold which were fastened to the throne and stays on each side of the sitting place and two lions standing by the stage. You can envisage it very Clearly, I'm sure in your mind, depicted in your own mind, this great, this large, this huge throne, lions at each side. It's made of glistening gold, the purest gold in Egypt. And this is what we read. There there were twelve lions that stood there on the one side and on the other upon the six steps. There was not the like made in any kingdom. Now you just imagine if that throne were to be discovered today, the archaeologists were to find it and come to the conclusion, this is the throne of King Solomon. It would be headline news. People would be willing to pay to have a look at it, to be awed by it because there was not the like made in any kingdom. This is a unique throne. And you imagine how you would have been impressed if you'd had the opportunity to see it, but even more impressed if you'd had the opportunity to approach it. And yet, this is what we find the apostle is speaking of a throne occupied by one who is greater than Solomon. Solomon was approached, we're told in verse 22 of Second Chronicles 9, King Solomon passed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon, to hear his wisdom that God had put in his heart. He was an outstanding man recognized for his wisdom. Kings came to seek advice from him, to improve the life of their subjects and their kingdom. And yet, Paul tells us of someone else, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And what does he say? In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, a greater than Solomon is here. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And here is the apostle writing to the Hebrews and through them addressing ourselves. And he is calling on us to come to a throne that outshines in every respect the greatest throne that was known in the world the ancient world of Solomon and David and the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah and all the Gentile kings. And they came to this throne, what for? To be simply awed by it. No, they came seeking wisdom, seeking instruction, seeking knowledge. It wasn't the throne itself that they came to. It wasn't an empty throne. It wasn't just a spectacular throne that they would examine and uh, be awed by its splendor. No, it was because that throne was occupied by Solomon and they were seeking unto him. They came to it because of his renown for wisdom. Now the throne that we're talking about here is a unique throne, more unique than that of Solomon? Because it is occupied by one in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And don't you think that you and I would feel very privileged to be able to approach such a throne? You think of ancient times, And when kings or their ambassadors would come from foreign lands, they might well prostrate themselves before the throne of Solomon. When the Queen of Sheba came, she didn't come empty-handed. We're told of all the precious stones and all the gold that she brought to Solomon She would never think of coming to him empty-handed. She wanted uh, to display her own majesty, but also to impress Solomon uh, by her show of appreciation of his greatness, the recognition of his greatness, and, of course, of his wisdom. Here's the throne That we don't have to prostrate ourselves before. Here is a throne that we don't come with display of riches or grandeur or glory. We don't have to come trying to make an impression by all the presents that we can bring and produce. What do we read? That we may obtain, not give, but receive. When the queen of Sheba came, she had to give. When other kings came, they had to do likewise. They would prostrate themselves, and then they would introduce their servants with all their uh, gifts uh, for Solomon. What do we read about this throne? This is a throne for the needy. This is a throne for the impoverished. This is a throne for the beggars that we might obtain. We come empty, we go away full, we come for help. What a throne of glory this is. But tell me, have we ever been at it? Have we ever been to this throne? We have to understand, of course, that As far as you and I are concerned, it's an invisible throne. It's a heavenly throne. We can't see it with the naked eye. But we see it by faith. And if we see it by faith, and if we've come to it by faith, we cannot possibly not be impressed by it. Do we really know when we talk about praying, when we talk about addressing God, when we talk about coming to God's throne in prayer, what are we really talking about? How do we feel when we come to it? Are we glad that there is such access to it as the apostle speaks of? Now, who is to come to this throne Let us, therefore, come boldly. Why would the Apostle say, let us come boldly? He doesn't mean to come irreverently or to come presumptuously. He means to come boldly with confidence that we won't be turned away from it, that we don't need a special invitation to have an audience With this king, look at what the apostle writes in verse 13 of this Hebrews 4. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Now, when we go back to Solomon's throne, we read of all the proverbs that he wrote the hundreds of Proverbs, and he wrote about beasts and plants, and he wrote about all different kinds of subjects. He applied his wisdom, his knowledge of the world around him. And uh, when we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon experimented with all kinds of actions and various types of lifestyle seeking wisdom seeking to learn experientially and he knew so much and that's why other kings came to him because they thought well he knows more than we do he has far more real knowledge experiential knowledge of the subjects that we will go and hear from him about look at what we have here neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, not even Solomon. Not even Solomon with all his wisdom has this degree of wisdom and knowledge. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things all things, there's nothing excluded, all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. With whom we have to do. I remember some years ago uh, when Tony Blair was the Prime Minister of uh, the United Kingdom that he had a press officer or one who uh, spoke for him uh, and uh, once he was asked because there was some issue at the time and his press officer was asked something about Tony Blair's religious beliefs something to that effect And he immediately responded, we don't do religion. Uh, Of course, he he was an atheist, claiming to be an atheist, and he wasn't interested in religion, and he wasn't interested in the prime minister's religion either. Uh, Tony Blair, of course, changed and joined the Church of Rome after he resigned, or after he was prime minister. His wife, of course, was an ardent Roman Catholic, but anyway, this is what he was saying. We don't do God here. And sadly, that's the attitude of so many politicians today and those who are supportive of their uh, work. We don't do God. We're not interested in God. We don't take anything to do with God. Well, look at what the apostle writes to you and I. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. There's no one, no creature anywhere, however tiny or however large. No creature that is not manifest in his sight. I tell you, God knows of creatures that not even the microscope or the telescope uh, can Uh, See, this is the God that Paul is talking about, and this is what he goes on to say, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. With whom we have to do. People may think to themselves, young people, please, get this fixed in your mind. There is no escaping from the one with whom we have to do. And the day is coming when multitudes, who would take nothing to do with God, we don't do God, we don't want God in our thoughts, We don't waste our time with God. The day will come when they will discover this is the God with whom we have to do whether we like it or not. We have to do with him and he has to do with us. And when the day comes and the books are opened and every one of us are judged out of those things that are written in those books, what discoveries there will be When men will think, and women will think, and young people will think. I thought that was a secret. I thought my parents didn't know anything about it. I thought my neighbors would never know anything of this. Lo and behold, when the books are opened, God knew about it. God has a record of it. Nothing has escaped him. He has it all preserved in record. And now I have to do with this God. Now I have to do with God as my judge. I never came to the throne of grace. I mocked it. I despised it. I wasn't interested in grace because I didn't think I needed grace. Now I need mercy but there isn't any. The access is closed to the throne of grace, and now I'm before the throne of judgment. And now I have to do with the God of eternity, my creator, my sustainer, the eyes of him, the piercing eyes, the searching eyes, Of him with whom we have to do. How many tonight think they've not, not, I take nothing to do with God. I take nothing to do with the gospel. I take nothing to do with the Bible. I take nothing to do with church and religious people. They're not my company. Well, here's the apostle saying, we have to do with God whether we like it or not. Dear young people, get this fixed in your mind that you have to do with God all the time. You cannot escape from him. And that's why it's important to learn to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is important to know and to remember and to think about it. Thy God Seest me, and Psalm one hundred and thirty-nine, we have there the psalmist speaking that even before he was fully formed in the womb, God knew him. That's the kind of knowledge God has. Before ever he was fully formed as a little infant in his mother's womb, God knew what he was creating. And he was creating it in the way that he did for a purpose. And this is what here we are told, the God with whom we have to do. What a God that has provided such a throne as this. The God with whom we have to do right now. The God with whom we have to do in time. The God with whom we have to do in a present day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There is present access to the throne of grace. And who is it for? It's for those who are in need. Now, you'll see there's no limitation put here upon the kind of need that the Apostle is talking about. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, who here this evening is without need? How often... We talk about our needs. We feel our needs. What do we do with them? Do we try to carry on looking after our own concerns, dealing with our own needs, turning to friends or neighbors or families? This is my need. Can you help me? Can you give me advice? How many dismiss this place of refuge and this place that is provided by the God with whom we have to do? My dear friend, how blessed a God is this that we have to do with? God who would provide such a place of refuge, such a place of grace, such a place of mercy. It's those who need mercy. It's those who need grace. It's those who are in need. The psalmist was saying, I am poor and needy. But he goes on to say, but the Lord thinketh upon me. And for the poor and needy soul, he has provided access to the very throne where there's mercy and grace to be had. Now then, what advice can any preacher with this word before him, what advice can he give to anyone other than this? Come boldly to this great provision. That God with whom we have to do doesn't do with us what justice requires. God doesn't do with us what our sins require. The God with whom we have to do. If he were to deal with his injustice, we would perish. If he were to deal with his as we deserve, where would, where would we be other than in a lost eternity? The God with whom we have to do is providing this place that we might come to it. But in verse 14, the apostle goes on, seeing then, you can see the logic again, seeing then. We have. Those are precious, precious words. Those two little words. Seeing then, we have. Have you read that? Have you looked at what you have? A child of God. A poor sinner the God with whom we have to do has made such a provision that we actually are in possession of great things, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now you can see why the apostle is writing here, because he's addressing those, he's writing these words to those who were in danger of throwing away their profession of faith in Christ. Maybe they came to the conclusion there's no reality in Christianity. Maybe they became disappointed. Maybe they became like so many and are they disillusioned. Where are the real Christians? Where are those who are really consistent? Where are the godly? Christians are hypocrites. They're not genuine. The church is a farce. We hear it all time and time again. And here's the apostle writing. He said, you have every reason to hold fast your profession. You don't need to cast it away. You don't need to throw it away. If you look at men, you might do that. If you look at those who claim to be Christians, you might do that. But you have no need to throw it away. There is reality. And where is it? It's in heaven itself. Seeing then, we have A great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. How do we hold it fast? We get our eyes in the right direction. We start looking in the right place. And we see there is reality. And what do we see? Verse 15. For we have not. We have We have not. This is what we have. An high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, because of this person, because there's reality here, We look here, we look there, we look to the right, we look to the left, and we say, well, I'm disappointed, I'm let down, I'm discouraged, whatever else. What does the apostle say? He says, we have an high priest who is genuine. We have one in heaven, who is true. And he is so true that he is so near. He has had our experiences. He is one who is actually touched with a feeling of our infirmities. When we have infirmities, he understands them. Why? Because He's the God with whom we have to do. He takes to do with us. And he knows everything about us. Absolutely everything. And we have, in the very presence of God, we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. When do we get disappointed? When do we get discouraged? When we don't look into the heavens. We might look into the church. We might look into the congregation. We might look in among God's people. And we think to ourselves, I'm giving up. How many dear young people come to that and they think to themselves, well, I don't see any point in going to church. I don't see any point in reading my Bible. I don't see any point in trying to pray because it's all nonsense anyway. I don't see any reality. I don't see any Christ-likeness. Here's what the Apostle says. There is someone that we can look to. With the eye of faith we can see where reality really is. And that should be an encouragement to us because we have a great high priest. A great high priest that has passed into the heavens. And how has he passed into the heavens? Because although he was tempted he's without sin. Isn't that something? Without sin. My, if we could only get a sight of this one. He's sinless and spotless. We can't be put off by him. We can't be discouraged. We can't say, well, I'm throwing up my profession because there's no reality. Here there is. Here we see the spotless, sinless, innocent, holy Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And I do believe that sometimes that is one of the problems that is so difficult to deal with. Dear young people, learn this. Look away from men and look to this one. And therefore, Paul says, let us therefore, let us therefore not throw up our profession, but let us come to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and that we might find grace to help in time of need because there is one. And you can't find any fault with him. You can't point the finger at him. You can't say I'm discouraged because of him. You can't say I'm disappointed because of him. No, no. Let us come because of him. And uh, you will see in the epistle to the Hebrews, at the very beginning of the epistle, in the first chapter, and in verse 8 of that chapter, The father is speaking to his son when he comes into the world. And what does he say? And to the son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. This throne that we're talking about is a throne that lasts. It's a throne that endures. Solomon's throne great though it was we don't know where it is today we cannot come to it but here is a throne and we can come to it because it still remains it's steadfast and unmovable but we are encouraged to come because of the great high priest which, as we are told here, he cannot be uh, touched, or the priest, uh, we have not an high priest who cannot be touched. We have no reason to come. If we came to the throne of this one, this priestly king after the order of Melchizedek, we might think, well, he doesn't understand me. He can't feel for me. He can't enter into my experience. There's no point in me coming to this great king, to this great throne. Who am I? I'm in streets. I'm in need. I'm poor. I have nothing to bring. Dare I come? Will he understand even one word of me? Will he even have any feeling for me? Or will I come to be completely misunderstood? Will I come to one who is so great above me? Oftentimes you hear ordinary people speak of royalty. And what will they say? Well, as the king drives round in his great Rolls Royce, and as he enjoys a lifestyle that very, very few enjoy, he doesn't even have a clue what some poor unemployed father feels like, struggling to put food on the table for his family, trying to keep a roof over the family's head, Royalty doesn't have a clue about that. They don't understand that. Ah, Well, here's the greatest throne of all. And we are to come in our need to it. Because there's one who's touched. He's touched with the feelings of the infirmities of his people. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This is the gospel of the king this is the gospel of the glorious lamb of god in the midst of the throne when john was saying to two of uh, the or jesus was uh, john the baptist was speaking of jesus he saw jesus coming and he said to two of his disciples behold the lamb of god that taketh away the sin of the world And now that lamb is in the midst of the throne. And here's the poor sinner. And he comes to the throne of grace. And what does he see when he comes? There's my atonement. There's the lamb that was slain for me. And now he's enthroned. The lamb that was making an atonement for my sin. If we've been to the throne of grace, it's because of that lamb. If we've been there, we've seen him. We've seen her atonement. We've seen the one who paid for our sins. We've seen the one upon whom our sins were led, as Isaiah 53 tells us the Lamb of God in the midst of the throne and the great high priest who offered up that Lamb, who offered up himself. He is touched. He is feeling. You might think at times, and I've met people like that, and they might say, well, minister, I don't think anybody really understands me. I don't talk about my problems because I don't think anybody can really understand them. We can never come here and possibly feel that way. He understands. And he understands when we can't explain ourselves. And he understands when we can't articulate what we feel our needs to be. What are we here told to come for? To obtain something. We come with nothing. And what do we find? Here we come to the throne that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't it interesting the apostle who writes this epistle... Wrote on another occasion of his own experience. And he went to the throne of grace. And he found grace. And he discovered the value of grace because he went to the throne of grace about a thorn in his flesh. About the messenger of Satan to buffet him. Now he took that to the throne of grace. Where else could he go? He was in need. And he felt his need. And he wanted rid of the thorn in the flesh. And surely, surely when he comes, he's writing. Do you think the apostle didn't know what he was writing about? That he wrote to others and lacked experience of what he was writing. Seeing that we have a great high priest. He knew he had one that had passed into the heavens and he came to the throne of grace in his need. And what does he say at the throne of grace? He speaks of the things that he surely believes the one to whom he has come feels for him. And when he says, I have this thorn in my flesh. It irritates me. It annoys me. It hinders me. It hampers me. Did he think for a moment, the Lord doesn't understand me. He doesn't really know what I'm talking about. Because you see, he doesn't know what the a thorn in the flesh is like. Then he might think, well, surely, surely, if I talk about the messenger of Satan, that will move him. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. He's touched with the feelings of my infirmities. He will do something to drive Satan away. He will do something to stop his buffeting. He will feel for me. He will know what I'm going through. And he will get rid of Satan. And he will remove the thorn in the flesh because he feels for me. Is that what happened? The one who felt for the apostle as no one else could feel. And the one who understood his experience as no one else possibly could. He reminded Paul of something. You're at the throne of grace, Paul. And you'll obtain grace here. You mightn't you mightn't obtain deliverance and relief from the thorn in the flesh. But this is the throne of grace. And you will obtain grace, Paul. Because I feel for you. And I understand you. And the one thing that I believe you need, dear Paul, more than anything, is grace. And you'll go here from the throne Valuing grace as you've never done before. Do we value grace? Or do we value peace of mind? Do we value comfort in life? Do we value relief from all troubles? Is that how we are? And do we think, well, the Lord isn't very sympathetic with me? If he was sympathetic and if he understood, he'd send the relief... I've been crying for for weeks and months and years. But it's the throne of grace. And when we come to the throne of grace, that's where we obtain grace. We may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Is there anything, my dear friend, that you think you need more tonight than the grace that the apostle is speaking about? Oh, you say, I need light. I need more understanding. I need more conviction of sin. I need more of this and I need more of that. We have a great high priest who knows, who understands, and what does he give? It's grace. The God with whom we have to do. How do you view him this evening? How do you understand him? The God with whom you have to do. Would you ask him to deal with you in justice? What would happen? The God with whom you have to do, would you dare to ask him to deal with you as you deserve? What would happen? The God with whom we have to do has provided access to the throne in which is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, now exalted and glorified. And the God with whom you have to do this evening has provided a place for such as yourself in your need. Let me ask you something. Why would you not come to it? Why would you not come here? You're given encouragement Let us, therefore, come boldly. There's nothing to be afraid of. You don't think, well, when I get more light, then I'll come. I'll have something to give, to present to God. It's for the needy. It's for the poor. It's for the undone. Let us, therefore, come boldly. When are we to come? When, my dear friend, are you going to come here? Or you say, I have to wait some time. I have to wait until I feel better about it. I have to wait until I understand things better. No, my dear friend, we have a great high priest who sympathizes, who understands, Who will never disappoint, who will never let down. And when you come and you say, Well, I present myself and my ignorance, he will understand. When you come and say, Well here I am, I have nothing. Plain and simply I have nothing. I don't have understanding. I don't have knowledge. I don't even have the conviction that I think I ought to have. He understands. Just tell him you're empty. Tell him you're poor. Tell him you're ignorant. He will understand. The God with whom we have to do. Here's what he's provided. the day will come when we will still have to do with him. And if we reject, and we turn away from the throne of grace, we will meet a throne of judgment. We will meet a throne of judgment. And the God with whom we have to do will judge righteously. And the God with whom we have to do If we have rejected this great high priest with a heart for sinners, that's what he's there for. We have. Do we understand the wonder of that, the marvel of that? We have. We have. He's ours. He's wholly ours. Every part of it is ours. If we're trusting in Christ, we have. He belongs to me. Christ is mine. 100% of him. He's mine. Isn't that something? To encourage us. To come to the throne of grace. Because there we meet with a friend. There we meet with someone who knows. Who understands. Who has a heart. For those who come in their impoverished, undone state and condition. My dear friend, the God with whom we have to do is the thrice holy God. The God with whom we have to do is God, our creator. The God with whom we have to do is the God to whom we're accountable. The God with whom we have to do is the God that we're going to answer to. But the God with whom we have to do has provided a place where there's mercy to be found even for the chief of sinners the God with whom we have to do is extending his grace to us what we have to do is come come by faith and receive it and obtain it because of the one who has entered into the heavens who has passed into the heavens you and I are not in heaven yet. But we already have our possession there. Have you ever thought of that? You think, well, I'm not in heaven yet. It'd be blessed to be there. We've already got something. Something of outstanding value. We have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. When last did you visit the heavens that you might see him and value him and praise him and love him? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a blessed invitation at the conclusion of another Sabbath. Will we come at this invitation? May the Lord bless his word. Let us pray. Gracious and eternal God, we humbly bow in thy presence before thy majesty. We are so ignorant even of thee. We so undervalue our great possessions. We so little visit heaven itself. To see what we already possess there. We so seldom understand the very throne of grace to which we come. Oh, do thou bless us with understanding of these great privileges, these great and blessed opportunities. Bless thy truth to us then. Receive us and pardon us for Christ's sake. Amen.